Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. Globalization has been beneficial for many business people around the world, but one group of people it has made life more complicated for is tax officials. With so many companies doing business across borders, how can government tax authorities work out how much tax those companies owe? Or which countries they owe it to? Could multinational companies end up paying too much tax? Or too little? Or no tax at all? Such questions are not just technical. Policymakers also want answers, especially when public finances are under severe strain, as is currently the case with the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the OECD has been leading international efforts to address these issues and aims to reach an agreement on some new tax rules this year. I'm Rory Clark, and to help us understand the issues, I'm delighted to welcome Grace Perez-Navarro, who is Deputy Director of the OECD Centre for Tax Policy and Administration. Grace, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Rory. Perhaps you could start by explaining how these tax challenges have come about and why people should care about them. Sure, happy to do that. Um, Yes, uh, globalization has had many positive impacts on people, businesses, and economies around the world, but it has produced uh, some serious tax challenges. Many of the tax challenges arise from the simple fact that every country has the sovereign right to establish its own tax system as it sees fit. And so without some level of coordination among countries, this can produce gaps and mismatches between countries' different tax laws that enable multinationals to exploit those differences to artificially shift their profits to places with very low or no corporate income taxes. And so without some sort of coordination, you end up with this this system that provides, uh, in most cases, legal ways to uh, escape taxation. The other thing that has changed over time is the fact that increasingly more and more companies are deriving their profits, not from selling goods, you know, cars and detergent and whatever, but increasingly from what we call intangibles. So things like brands, think of luxury goods, they derive the bulk of their profits from the brand, not so much the actual thing. By shifting, what do you mean? You mean shifting their accounts for tax purposes so they record the profit in countries that it might not necessarily have been earned. Is that what you mean? What essentially happens is that they can legally transfer just on a a piece of paper and say, well, this brand is now going to be located in Ireland, for example, or the Netherlands or some other place. And so the brand has been transferred and then the profits that brand generates will be booked in that other country that may have lower taxation or a preferential regime or something. And so that is a way to transfer profits. Another way that this is done is through the use of interest deductions. You'll book interest deductions in a high tax country and the loan or whatever it is you're paying for will be in the low tax country. So the income will be booked in the low tax country and the deduction in the high tax country. So these are the kinds of things that a company can play with to reduce its taxes. So this profit shifting leads to an erosion of the tax base in particular countries. 
and these countries are not getting the tax they rightfully deserve. Is that it? They are not getting the tax on the basis of where value has been created. And this is precisely why in 2013, we launched the project with the G20 countries to tackle what we call base erosion and profit shifting, to realign taxation where value has been created. We came up with 15 measures to try to address this, to restore the connection between real substantive activities and not mere paper profits, but where things really happen. We also tried to bring about greater coherence in the tax laws of different countries, which was something fairly new for us. Countries realized that while, yes, that's a sovereign right of theirs, but there was greater value in coordinating positions across countries to avoid this exploitation of loopholes. Are you saying that some countries were losing out? Are you talking about developing countries or even some OECD countries? I think there were a lot of countries across the globe that felt they were losing out, whether they were large, small, developed or developing, because um, the objective of companies was to shift profits and minimize tax to the maximum extent possible. And because we're talking about large multinationals, they would have the legal advice to do this in a way that was technically legal, but what we may have called aggressive tax planning. So that was really the objective. Now you mentioned brands and new forms of business, uh, which are harder to calculate in terms of where the revenues are and where the activity is. But for a few years now, the OCD has been helping to lead very important international talks on how tax rules should apply to digital firms, such as Google, Facebook, Amazon, giants like that. Why would digital firms be different? Well, actually, (laughs) this was an outgrowth of the BEPS project. Action one of the 15 actions that I mentioned before was uh, to address the tax challenges arising from the digital economy. And one of the key things that was concluded in that work was that there isn't something you can ring fence to talk about as the digital economy, but in fact, the whole economy is digitalizing. And so you may say, well, no, cars, but yes, cars increasingly have so much technology built into them, so much artificial intelligence that You you can't say there's one thing that is called the digital economy. Our current rules are based on whether or not a company has a physical presence in a country in order for that country to be able to tax the profits derived in that jurisdiction. And of course, now with highly digitalized activities where there is no longer a need to have a physical presence in order to engage very substantially in the economic life of another country without having a physical presence, these rules don't make sense anymore because the physical presence rule really is what defines the connection to the country, what we call the nexus to the country to justify that country having a taxing right. And so that's something that has uh, changed in the digitalized world. So 
What are governments hoping to achieve from the talks which are ongoing now? Is it more revenue, more fairness? Well, it's really both of those things. It is definitely about fairness. Um, you know, if you take the situation of buying books online versus buying them at the local bookshop, there needs to be a level playing field. And it's also about revenues because countries do feel that they are losing a revenues that they should rightfully be able to tax. I don't suppose there are any estimates of what countries are foregoing or I assume that's too difficult to work out. Well, actually, we have developed a proposal which consists of two pillars, one uh, which creates a new nexus, as I just mentioned, and a new taxing right for the countries where these profits are being generated. And then we also have another pillar, which is basically a backstop to all of the other BEPS measures, which is to ensure that all multinationals pay an agreed minimum level of tax. And so we have done some simulations and have estimated that our proposal would increase global corporate income tax revenues by about 50 to 80 billion US dollars per year. So we're talking about around 4% of global corporate income tax revenues in total. And what about the firms themselves? How are they responding to this? But what are the businesses telling you? Well, um, what we hear, and different businesses are in different uh, situations. So what we hear is that they would like to see a global multilateral consensus-based solution. They would like to see the unilateral digital services taxes go away because those are gross basis taxes not on profits, but on revenues. And they would like to see a common approach. So that is what we hear. Business has provided a lot of input on the technical aspects of the design of these pillars. But I suppose, you know, what we're not necessarily seeing is, you know, 100% endorsement of what we have proposed and lobbying for our solution. I suppose a lot of businesses would just like to see both the digital services taxes go away and our proposal go away. But recognizing that that is not a reality, I think most businesses are trying to engage constructively in a design that would work. Large firms like Google are often at pains to say that they fully comply with the law that they're only doing what shareholders expect and keeping the tax bill down and maximizing returns. Are we seeing a shift in this thinking in the business sector? And are the laws themselves perhaps also a little bit out of sync with the global economy? Yeah, um, well, and I'm not speaking about any specific company, but I would say in general that we are seeing a bit of a shift in perspectives uh, on this issue of maximizing shareholder value, for example. And uh, this relates a lot uh, to the work that we have been doing on tax morale, which essentially is what is the willingness of companies to pay tax in a responsible manner. And so we've seen principles for how companies should look at their 
tax responsibilities and engage with tax authorities. We've seen the B team, which was originally launched by Richard Branson as a responsible business conduct group of companies, and they have come out with tax principles and what companies should do to pay tax responsibly. We've also seen institutional investors, you know, big pension funds coming out with statements saying they will not invest in companies that don't engage in responsible tax behavior. And so I think there is a bit of a shift in perceptions here. You know, I think businesses do understand that they need to comply with both the letter and the spirit of the law. And of course, this was a big part of what our BEPS project was about, trying to get companies to pay tax responsibly. Now, back to countries. One of the traditional fears governments have is that if you overtax firms, they may up and leave to another jurisdiction. Now, countries are on board with this, as you say, but are there any niggling fears? Well, different countries are in different positions, although I think the vast majority of uh, the inclusive framework members, and we have 139 members, are interested in finding a global solution because while they, of course, are interested in ensuring that their tax system remains competitive and that they have an overall attractive business environment, which includes what the tax system is, at the same time, they need to collect revenues in order to finance essential public services like hospitals, roads, schools. And so there's always that tension. And at the end of the day, in order to avoid a complete race to the bottom, countries have come together in order to get global international rules of the game. Yes, at your recent Inclusive Framework conference, uh, the mood seemed quite positive, actually. And uh, Let's get it done, I heard some countries saying. When are we aiming for exactly? Maybe you could explain the timeline a little bit that lies ahead. Yes, well, we have a very tight timeline to uh, come to a solution by mid-2021. So that is a very ambitious timeline. Now, having said that, we did publish in October two very detailed blueprints, one for Pillar 1, the nexus and profit allocation rules, and two, the minimum tax blueprint. And so we have a lot of agreement on a lot of issues. There are still some outstanding political issues that need to be addressed. One of the key questions there is this question of the scope of these new nexus and profit allocation rules. Another layer of the whole scope question is the size of companies. And so we're looking at targeting large multinationals in this project. And so that is another issue. Where will the thresholds be set? But if we're able to resolve the scope questions, we think we will be able to come to agreement in June. Of course, you work at the OECD with countries all around the world, not just OECD and G20. What are developing countries and and emerging countries saying? Do they have a different perspective or any concerns about this new setting of international rules on taxation? Well, I think a lot of developing countries have an interest in ensuring that there is 
a change in the current international rules where they are not getting anything at the moment. I think they're also very interested in the minimum tax. And one of the key concerns is about the complexity of the current rules. And so we will be over the coming months looking to try to simplify the proposals so that they're easier to administer. But we have to remember that we're talking about the operations of large multinationals. And so their activities are not simple. One of the other things that is very important in the context of the the project is providing tax certainty both to taxpayers, but also to tax administrations. Taxpayers will want to ensure that there is no double taxation resulting from the overlay of these new rules. And tax administrations will want to ensure that there is certainty within a specific time frame. Otherwise, um, this will become uh, unmanageable. You mentioned a public consultation. Maybe tell us a little bit about that, because I'm sure a lot of listeners must think that these negotiations take place in little dark corners away from the public eye. How did that consultation go? And was there any interesting or surprising feedback? Well, we have had several public consultations on this project over the last few years. And with the most recent one was on the 14th and 15th of January, we received over 3,500 pages of comments from over 200 stakeholders from business, civil society, academia, and NGOs from around the world. And so that input is very useful in helping us to further refine and shape the proposals. The comments showed a strong interest in the OECD delivering an international consensus-based solution to prevent the proliferation of these uncoordinated unilateral measures. I'm sure you have seen that the reaction of the United States to these unilateral measures targeting its digital companies has been to impose sanctions. And so what we are potentially being faced with is a tax war becoming a trade war and businesses don't want that, governments don't want that. And so it was very reassuring to see that interest in a multilateral solution being reflected in the comments. Turning to the OECD's role in all of this, the organization marks its 60th anniversary this year, and it has a long history in international tax governance and rulemaking going way back. There was the fight against tax evasion and tax havens in the 1990s, and then, of course, the financial crisis in 2008, when the focus turned to transparency and profit shifting. How do you see progress? Uh, Are we in a better place now? And how much has that history helped? Yes, uh, I think there's definitely been tremendous progress. And I would say yes, that it's because of the foundations that we laid early on that we were able to make this progress. You know, a lot of times it looks to people as though the, the changes that they've seen in recent years have been quite a revolution, but really these changes have been evolutionary. If you think about Um, the work that we were doing in in the 90s and after that, the work that we did to address harmful tax practices, the work that we launched back then on getting rid of bank secrecy. If we had not done 
that core work then, um, we would not have been able to make the progress we have made. Why do I say that? What was important when we hit the financial crisis was the creation of political momentum to address these issues. And so prior to that, we didn't really have a G20 focusing on tax evasion and avoidance. The G20 wasn't there. There was no political grouping that could really push these issues forward. And so we were working on those issues at a technical level. The financial crisis, for better or for worse, did give us that impetus, and we were ready with solutions. And so we were able to take the things that we had done and really build upon those. And now, of course, with all this political attention, with yet another crisis upon us right now, we're going to continue to be able to move these issues forward. I think we have come a long way. And so I'm I'm very proud of what the OECD has done to address a lot of the key issues. There's still much more to do, and it's important to keep addressing the issues uh, because once you close one loophole, there's always something else. And so it is important to continue the discussions. What I, I think has been a big breakthrough in our work is that we have so many more countries around the table helping to develop these rules. And, and though that may sometimes be harder to get agreement, at the end of the day, you have a much better system in place to try to tackle these issues. Of course, the world has changed enormously in the last year with the COVID-19 pandemic. How has this changed your work? And presumably this has given your work extra urgency. Yes, it has given extra urgency on a number of levels. One, it's more important than ever to fight tax evasion and tax avoidance. Two, one of the things that has happened during this pandemic when people have been confined or in lockdown and unable to go out to go shopping is they've done online shopping. And so a lot of these digital companies Uh, have profited tremendously, while at the same time, uh, more traditional companies may have suffered. And so it just highlights the need to resolve this issue and ensure that all companies are paying their fair share. Grace Perez-Navarro, you have been at the heart of efforts to improve international tax for many years and have witnessed more than one crisis, more than one challenge. As a tax expert, but also as a human being, What is it like to work in such an extremely sensitive yet critical area for us all? And what advice would you give to a younger you, someone starting out in your field today? Well, I know that a lot of people think tax is very boring, but I can assure you that it's been incredibly exciting working on all of these issues here at the OECD. And I can't think of a better place to work on these issues and build global consensus on some of the most important issues of the day. So what I would say to people entering this field is that it is not just about helping people file tax returns. There's so much that can be done through the tax system because governments are not collecting taxes for tax sake. They are collecting these taxes in order to uh, provide 
hospitals, schools, roads, but not only that, but to pursue different social objectives, to address inequality, to address poverty. And so there are so many things that can be done through the tax system. One of the things we're working on right now, which is so exciting, is dealing with climate change. And tax has a, a key role to play in changing the behavior of companies and what they invest in. So, you know, our work is incredibly important for the planet. Grace Perez-Navarro, thank you for enlightening us on the world of international taxation and making it fairer for everyone. And thank you for all you've been doing. And good luck in the important work in the months ahead. Thank you. If you'd like to find out more about the issues discussed in this podcast, go to www.oecd.org slash tax. That's www.oecd.org slash tax. Thank you for listening. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com slash OECD.